0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. So it was Wednesday and it was 4:38 p.m. I was still at work. I was actually uh, driving on my way somewhere and my uh, phone rang in my car and I answered it. It was an unknown number. And uh, the voice on the other end was a voice that I didn't know, just to pick through the speaker. Now, it was a miracle one that I answered the phone because I usually miss most phone calls. But I just happened to be uh, on my way somewhere. I saw the phone click up through my speaker. I hit... And and I started to talk to this person who said to me at 4:38 in the afternoon, I'm here at the school. She introduced herself as a teacher from the school. I'm here at the school with your son Ben, and he's wondering where his parents are. Right. My instant thought, okay, I had two instant thoughts. Instant thought number one was, what have I forgotten? And then as soon as I recognized I hadn't forgotten anything, instant thought number two. Was I hope Chrissy's okay. They're my two thoughts. The thing I didn't think was, has Chrissy forgotten the kids? The thing I didn't think was, has Chrissy just got distracted and not realized the time? You know I didn't think those things? Because I've been married to Chrissy for 18 years, and the one thing I know about her is there is she is never late to getting to our kids. And 4:38 is a good hour and 20 minutes after school finishes. So my instant thought was, I hope nothing's happened. And I thought that because if Chrissy wasn't here, I knew there was a problem. Well, to let you know the story, Chrissy had actually been here, uh, Ben had stayed back for uh, some practice, like an AFL training practice after school, and his mum had been sitting in the car for half an hour before the end of that watching him, but instead of being aware of the environment around him, when practice finished, he just decided to take off to a random part of the school. And uh, so that was when he ran into this teacher, the wondering why he was wandering around the school at 4.30. So my instinct was correct. Well, Chrissy was here because there's no way that she has ever, and I just know that she never would, leave my eight-year-old son to wander around the school at 4.30 in the afternoon. See, having been together and married for over 18 years now, I know her character And the thing is, when we know someone's character, we make assessments about them, even when circumstances appear that don't make sense to us. That's the power of spiritual discipline. We get to know the character of God so that even when life doesn't make sense or even when we can't assess the circumstances, we know God's character is such that we don't question him in inappropriate ways. I want to talk to us just briefly and I'm going to jump into something really different this morning but I was want to talk to us this morning about the power of employing spiritual disciplines in your life because like that it's, it, it gets you in a place where you know God's nature and so it helps you navigate life why are disciplines important? let me just make a couple of really quick comments this morning as we spend time with God, now what's a spiritual discipline look like? For you, it might be a regular scripture reading. It might be regularly engaging in community, church community, life group community. You know why community is important? Not just because God likes it when we do life together, but when you form your theological opinions on your own, there's more danger that you're going to go in your own direction with that. It's actually good to be challenged by others. So community is a spiritual discipline that God gave us so that we actually grow healthily in our faith. Regular prayer, regular listening to others' teaching, regular study of the Scriptures yourself, they're all great disciplines. Fasting, as we've discovered in these last couple of weeks, is a discipline. And why discipline's important? Because disciplines give us the chance to form our own opinion of who God is. We live in a time where we have more resources available to us. You know, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have this book formed the way it was. It was still being written. They had parts of it, but there were parts of it that we lean into that were still unfolding and being written. And so they were so dependent on the teaching of others and community. But we live in a time where we have so much resource available to us. But I would say we live in a time where our literacy is so low when it comes to the things of God because we depend on others to feed us when God's invited us to feed ourselves. So discipline's important because we form our opinion of who God is and in the midst of it, we learn to discern God's voice. I want to say something that's really important this morning. Theology is not based on feeling, right? The truth of who God is and what God thinks and what God believes isn't based on what feels right and good to you. Sometimes our feelings and our emotions align with the truth of who God is Other times they don't. And if we don't know what the truth of God's word says about things and we just go off what feels right in the moment, we open ourselves up to all manner of problem and painful circumstances. So theology is not based on feeling and truth is not grounded just in what feels good and right in the moment. Discipline helps us to discern God's voice above all others. The final thing I want to say is Regular spiritual disciplines help us to train for the pain. Now, I didn't deliberately mean that to rhyme, but it it works, doesn't it? Discipline helps us train for the pain. Now, what does that mean? When I was learning to drive a long time ago now, it's very fresh in my mind because I'm teaching my first child now to drive and it's a whole new experience sitting on the other side of the car, I thought I'd be a relaxed driver instructor I'm not necessarily a relaxed driving instructor. But I remember when I was learning, I had some guys in our church that were really into their cars that grabbed a hold of me some Sunday afternoons and took me out, and we didn't just drive highway miles. See, highway miles are easy miles to do. You just set the course and you put your foot on the accelerator and you just go straight. Now, these guys took me out and gave me some miles in some things that were a little bit more taxing. Some dirt roads, some wet roads, some nighttime driving, some circumstances that we're going to be confronting. Why? Because when you drive a car, it's not always highway miles, is it? There's moments where you need to have trained your body to react to the circumstances in front of you. It's the same with our faith. We employ regular spiritual disciplines because it helps us train for the pain. That's a pretty good segue into what I want to talk about this morning. Because the last few weeks, we've been preaching about the presence of God. And one of the things that's come through, and I hope you've heard in every message and you continue to hear in every message over this series, is that God is always present with us. You don't come here on a Sunday morning to experience God's presence. We live our life in the presence of God. So whether you're at church or at work or at home or in the car with your kids or in the shopping centre or in your way to work or at university, God is present with you. Now that's something that is, is overwhelming in one sense but incredibly freeing in another, that God is always with us. I hope you get this picture as we talk about the presence of God, that we live life in the presence of God and He is always with us. But it does create a question that I want to address this morning. This would be really easy to leave alone because these things aren't easy to talk about. But if God is always with us, how do we reconcile that in the midst of our pain or our trauma or our grief? If God is always present with us, think on your life and think of the times when you would have inevitably asked this question, why did God not show up and act then? Why didn't God intervene in that circumstance? Why didn't God prevent that from happening to me? If God is present in every circumstance, where was God when I needed him the most? You know, two of the greatest uh, things that people wrestle with when they try to come to terms with God is this whole idea of God in the midst of suffering and pain. And it leads people to make two assumptions. And you've probably heard these before, but most people say, well, you can't have an all-powerful God and a really good God. Either God is good, and if that's the case, he can't be all-powerful. Because if God is all-powerful, if I look at my circumstances, there's no way that he can be good. And this morning, I want to talk into this. I want to say right from the outset that I reckon some of the things that I'm going to say in my message today might be helpful to you, but right now I know they're not going to be fully adequate in answering all the questions that you've stepped in here with around this issue but here we go the first thing I want to say is this we have to understand a little bit about where we live I'm not talking about Alma. I'm not talking about geographically I'm just talking about where we live in the snapshot of history but where we live in the snapshot of redemptive history if you read your scripture and you get to the very beginning of the scripture it talks about God's perfect intent for us and for creation I love that picture we spoke about a few weeks ago, where God is just walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, as we imagine was His custom to do so with His creation. What God created was perfect and good. There was no animosity. There was no pain. There was no fracturing in relationship. It was good. Unfortunately, we only get a, f- a few short chapters that tell us about how good it was before this incredible event happened that the Bible talks about as the fall. But it's the moment where sin entered the picture and the sin. Sin wasn't just about eating a fruit. The sin was about people deciding and declaring that they actually had more than what they thought God was saying. They wanted to actually forget God and his place and be kind of the kings and lords over their own destiny and outcome themselves. That was the sin. It was the sin of pride, and the sin of glory, glorifying self over the things of God. And so Adam and Eve are disobedient in that initial story of the fall, and sin enters the picture. And the sin that enters the picture is people telling God to go and kind of deal with his own stuff because we don't need your help. And then the Bible tells us through its narrative about what happens when we try to be in charge of things and we don't let God be Lord over all things. And the picture is a really messed up picture. And Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And the first kind of really easy to grasp sin that we see in their relationship is when Cain murders his brother Abel. The first time an innocent is unjustly affected by sin. And now we take that and we fast forward that over the thousands of years since And we look at our own stories and we know that that sums up the world we live in. Sin that is perpetrated by us, sin that is perpetrated on us in people whose lives innocently and unjustly are affected by sin. But the picture the Bible gives us of sin is not just the sin that is a personal consequence. It's actually when sin enters the picture, there's a sense of a whole earth brokenness. It's not just about the things we do that affect us, it's about the things we do that affect others, and it's about the corrupt and broken systems that have grown in our world that affect everything. I'm not going to get into this this morning, but you just had to look at the narration around the recent fire events in our country. When I say I'm not going to get into it, I'm not making commentary on an opinion here, but look at the narration. People were saying, "Well, well, the system's broken, You know, we're responsible for affecting the climate and the climate's responsible for the fires. Then in other camps, you had people saying, it's not about the climate, it's actually about bad systems of land management and fire prevention. But what you see in the dialogue, and then there are others just going, God sucks. You see the narration here? People saying there's something about the broken and corrupt systems of the world we live in that leads to the tragedy and the grief that we face. You see, sin's not just something that affects us personally, it affects the whole creation. Everything is out of whack, it is fractured. And that's why, in the book of Romans, the, the writer says this. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we are eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What's that passage talking about? It's talking about the fact that we live this side of the fall, but we still live this side of Christ's return. We're placed in this middle ground because when you get to the back end of the Scripture, the first couple of uh, chapters of the Scripture talk about God's good creation and His intent for creation. The rest of the scripture talks about sin entering the picture and then God's plan of rescue and redemption till we get to the last few chapters of the scripture that talk about how we come full circle back to the place where God always intended things to be right back there. But we live in this middle ground between the fall and between Christ's return. Revelation 24 verse 1 talks about what this end of the picture looks like. It says there will be a day where he God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God in the garden is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. God in the new creation is sitting there wiping the tears from your eyes. There's such a beautiful, intimate picture of the relationship that God desires with you. I, I didn't quite, I read that a hundred times, but now I get it when my kids sit on my lap and I wipe the tears off their face. In that moment of comfort, and I think this is such a powerful and intimate picture of what God has in store for his people. But right now, we live in this middle ground between creation and redemption where brokenness, pain, grief, and trauma are still part of the picture. And I reckon we all get that theologically, but what about when that narrative actually visits us personally let me ask this question how do we interpret the deafening silence of heaven king david king david had lots of good stuff going for him had lots of encounters with god and his power had some messed up stuff going on in his life as well but king david was a songwriter Wrote lots of songs, and his songs are, are a gift to us in the, in the book of Psalms, in the scripture, because his songs actually remind us that God's okay with dealing with human emotion. That God's actually okay with our wrestle and sometimes with our rant. But he also loves our praise and our adoration. They're all mixed in one. The Psalms, when I grew up, I just thought the Psalms were all happy songs. Then I started to read them. And I realized that the Psalms are these deep, heartfelt, emotional Moments of pouring out grief to God in moments where life doesn't make sense. In one particular song that, Psalm, that King David writes, he uses these words. This is his song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? This is the same guy that writes another song that says, where can I go? For where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? Where, wherever I go, you were there. He's the same guy that writes out to them and says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? Why aren't you hearing my cries of anguish and grief? And in this moment, David doesn't give us hard and fast, black and white theology. He just gives us the cry of the human heart that there are moments in life where we all want to sing that song, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? There are moments in life when God's presence feels so distant, when his silence is deafening. How do we deal with that? As I said, my answers aren't going to be helpful, but not always adequate. But let me fast forward you hundreds of years from David penning that song. And God himself in the person Jesus clothed in flesh and blood walking this earth is now nailed to a rugged Roman cross. Beaten, naked, bleeding, all his mates have taken off on him. He's been insulted. He's been abused. He's had a thorn bush turned into a crown and pressed into his skull. He's been whipped. He's has sleepless. And now he's hanging on a cross in the most painful space that a human could find themselves. And what does Jesus say? Thank you, Father, for this gift. No, no, no. He, he just sings the words of a song that he knew so well because he probably studied it. He just says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' words on the cross went, but just Jesus singing the song of David and in that moment saying, oh David, right now, I get it. And so in those moments when heaven seems silent, One comfort that we carry is that God Himself, that Jesus understands, empathizes with the broken world that we live in and sometimes the questions that make no sense and the pain that is visited upon us. And Jesus, an innocent man hanging on the cross, had the worst of the world's sin and brokenness visited upon him in that moment. And he too cries out to heaven, God, why have you forsaken me? Because in Jesus' darkest moment, heaven seemed silent. But God might sometimes be silent in your story, but let me say something that he's not. He's never passive. God is silent at times, but he's never passive. You see, in that moment, God's heart must have been breaking as he saw his own son hanging on a cross, but he knew that what Jesus was going through was going to be the very thing that brought about your and my redemption. You see, God was silent but he was still at work. Now I don't think and I don't want to this morning draw a straight line to say therefore your suffering has a greater plan or redemptive purpose because there's times in life when it doesn't and it doesn't make sense. So I'm not saying that just because Jesus on that cross had a greater plan and purpose that that he had to walk through that moment. I'm not saying that yours is made sense by that. What I am saying though is that God is at work even when we don't see him and even when uh, heaven seems silent because God from the very beginning to the very end has actually been enacting a redemptive rescue plan that ends in a really good story for every single one of us so in the moments when God seems silent and you want to sing with King David and you want to sing with King Jesus sing your hearts out but don't give up because God is not sitting on his hands doing nothing there's going to be a better end to the story than the one you're living right now. Because God is fulfilling a rescue plan that lands in a place where death and evil are defeated forever. And it's a plan that's in process as I speak this morning. Because we live in this weird space of the kingdom of God has come in the person, the ministry of Jesus, but it's not yet been fully Realised. It's one of these theological wrestles that we have of the kingdom of God is here but is coming. It almost doesn't make sense to say, but it's the thing that we live in, the time that we live in, in Jesus, the kingdom broke in. And in one day, when Jesus returns, the kingdom in all its fullness will be all in all, everything and everything. But right now we're living in this tension of kingdom come, but not yet. And so there's something really important that we can all grab onto in the midst of this time and something that we can all be part of when we talk about the pain and the suffering, where is the presence of God in the midst of it? Well, here's part of the solution, you. You are part of the solution. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm going back to sit with my father. I'm going to send one to be with you, the counsellor who's going to guide you, he's going to use you. Jesus also said, guess what? These amazing things that I've done, you will do greater things than these. And the time and time and time again that through what Jesus said and through what Paul teaches in the scriptures, we get a sense of we are part of the kingdom coming solution of Jesus. When Jesus prays, God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he says, well, part of how I'm going to do that is use the people that come to faith in me to be part of the solution. I'm going to send some people to go and plant churches and bring medical care to the far ends of the earth and I'm going to plant a whole bunch of you in a little suburb called Ormo on the northern Gold Coast in this time of history because we're part of the kingdom solution that sometimes answers the question of where is God's presence in the midst of our pain. You're part of the solution for a few reasons. One, we have the chance to stop the cycle of pain through our own actions. Every one of us here would have been responsible sometime in our life, probably sometime in the last month, sometime in the last week, and possibly even this morning already for bringing pain into someone else's life because of our own brokenness and sin. But God has said, actually, I'm going to help you be part of the solution because as you day by day become more like me and allow my Holy Spirit to change you, guess what? You're not going to be visiting more pain on the earth. You're going to be part of the redemptive solution of bringing hope and healing to people in the midst of their pain. See, we are part... Of the now solution. And as we take it really seriously to live out God's call on our life to bring justice, to live with kindness, to give with abundant generosity, to, to deal in forgiveness, in grace, in mercy, to care for God's good creation, to give our all in whatever vocation we find ourselves in, to build a great society, when we take seriously God's call on us, guess what? The kingdom just keeps bursting up. Green shoots just keep appearing in the landscape that we live. So when we ask the question of pain, know that part of the ministry that God has given us, his church and given you, his people, is to be the green shoots of the kingdom continuing to burst forth in the broken world that we live. Let me finish this morning with a story. John chapter 11. It's not going to come up on the screen because... I'm going to go a little bit all over the place. Let me tell you the start of the story and the end of the story, and then I want to give you two different dialogues that run parallel through this one story. It's a story of a family, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who the Bible tells us that Jesus had a great relationship with, really loved this family. Anyway, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are at a point where Lazarus is really sick, and we find out really quickly in the story that Lazarus dies. But they know that Jesus has been doing some incredible miracles. And they've heard about you know blind receiving sight and lame people walking and people being released of the things that have bound them all their life. They've heard of lepers get healed. They've heard and seen firsthand the ministry of Jesus as the kingdom breaks through and healing and empower in people's lives. And so now they're faced with their darkest moment where Lazarus is dying. And so what do they think? Well, we know the one who can bring healing. And so over here as Lazarus is sick, They send word to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. In their heart, they're thinking, we know Jesus has the power to heal. Well, let me just kind of ruin the ending of the story. Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't turn up. That's the story that John 11 tells. But in the midst of the story, we get two parallels about what's going on. You see, there's Martha and and Mary who know what Jesus can do and so send word for him to come and then sit and wait and start to process his silence because Jesus doesn't turn up and then have to process the grief because their brother dies. John 11 tells us that story, but it also tells us Jesus' story. Listen to Jesus' perspective on the same story from verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Uh, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Just take that in for a minute. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Right, Mary and Martha. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Send word, come. Jesus... His. Lazarus is sick. I really love them. Let's stay put for a while. The disciples then start having a little bit of a conversation with Jesus about what's going on. And Jesus says this. He says, verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Jesus now knows where the story's gone. He said, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he delays his trip by two days. And obviously, between the time he got the word, he delayed his trip and then he makes the journey to wherever he's going. It's all transpired. Lazarus is dead. They've probably had some form of funeral. He's now in a tomb. And in ancient times, he'd be in a tomb wrapped in grave clothes. And the body would be in the signs of decay. That's Jesus' perspective. Mary, Martha's perspective is God's gone silent. Jesus' perspective is just wait, I've got a different plan here. The story then goes on to say this. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, and here's the telling thing, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In this moment, we get two very different perspectives. Listen to Jesus' perspective. Jesus says to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death, no, it's for the glory, God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Martha, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Same circumstance, completely different perspective. I'm going to get the band to come join me. Jesus has a dialogue with Martha and then Martha races back and tells Mary that Jesus is out of town on his way in and guess what? Mary races out to Jesus. Mary reaches the place where Jesus was, sees him, falls at his feet and guess what Mary says to Jesus? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I reckon we get to a space in our life so often where the thing that we want to say to God is this. God, why are you silent? If you turned up, this would never have happened. It's our own version of if you'd been here, God, my brother wouldn't have died. But maybe for you, it's like, had you turned up, God, when we prayed for healing and and we didn't see you move, had you shown up, Jesus, in that moment, the outcome would have been different. Jesus, if you showed up when we hit that, that speed hump, that pothole, that ditch in our marriage and everything was just falling apart, God, if you'd shown up, this thing wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you showed up, when my kid was copying all this grief, if you just showed up in that moment, because if you're a powerful God, you could have intervened. But if you showed up, this thing wouldn't have gone down the way it did. See, Mary and Martha just see the outcome of what happened and they say, the thing that all of us say at some point in our life, God, if you just showed up when we wanted you to show up or when we asked you to show up or when we got the church praying and fasting for you to show up or when we believed that you were going to show up or when we really took a stance of faith, if you showed up in that moment, this thing wouldn't have died. This thing wouldn't have happened. Jesus' encounters... The sister's question and the story goes on to say this, that when Jesus saw Mary weeping and all those that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. And then the shortest and most powerful verse, Jesus wept. Jesus knows there's a different outcome coming, but in the moment he feels the weight of the grief of the people that are feeling the brokenness and the fracturing of the world that we lived in. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him." But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, He said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour for he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when He said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out and the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face and Jesus said to them take off the grave clothes and let him go where is God present in the midst of our pain I can't answer that question the thing I know though is I have a confidence in who God is And in the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, we know the depth of love that Jesus feels for this family, but He doesn't do things the way they want Him to do it. You know what, there's gonna be times in our life where God's response to our prayer or God's action in the midst of our crisis or God's, you know, just sense of silence won't make sense to us. But in those moments, we have an invitation. Just to trust, one, that God has a perspective that's really different to ours. And two, that no matter what the ending in this life, there's going to be a glorious ending in the story that God's writing that you're invited to be part of. We've got to trust God's perspective and we've got to trust God's timing. The Bible tells us really clearly that there will be a day. There will be a day that through the brokenness of this world where every one of us will see death. Some earlier than we hoped for, some longer than we'd anticipated, but there will be a day unless Christ returns in the time in between where every single one of us, like Lazarus, will find ourselves on the other side of the life story. But there will be a day where Jesus will stand at the entrance to wherever it is that you lay and call your name and say step out. Because the Bible tells us that Christ was the first fruits of all that would come after. His resurrection was the first fruits of all those that would come back to life. And in the midst of the pain of our story, I want to invite us this morning to know that God is present with us. And even though we may not understand the circumstances or the outcome, He is writing a redemptive story that every single one of us is invited to be part of. It's not a story that's going to get us away from the grief, the pain, the trauma, the things in this life. Life that make no sense the days where everything is dark and we feel like seven, heaven is silent but it is a story that every one of us will walk into and I reckon in that moment when Jesus calls your name and you walk into his glorious future for you the questions that we have now will fade to nothing because of the glory of what God has in store for those who love him so can I ask you something If right now you're questioning where God is present in the midst of your pain, it's okay to sing the song of David and the song of Jesus. But in the midst of both those songs, don't give up. Don't give up. Because God is writing a story that you're a part of that has a glorious ending. That even if you don't see it now, one day every one of us will stand together side by side, faces fixed on Jesus, hands raised in worship, I imagine, experiencing the goodness of what God had always intended for every one of us. I say we're all invited into that story the Bible just makes it really clear that anyone that puts their faith and their trust in Jesus and in the Lord and Saviour that is your story God's redemptive future is your story but right now all of us have a decision as to whether we're one if we're people of faith we're going to continue to trust that and for any of us here that have never put our faith in Jesus you're invited in this moment to allow his story to be yours so one day you hear his voice calling you out because death has been defeated through the power of the cross and the resurrection God's got a glorious ending for you can we all stand this morning Lord God in this moment I want to acknowledge the pain I want to acknowledge the grief I want to acknowledge the trauma acknowledge that there's some of us here today that have had the most horrible things done to us or perpetrated against us. But I acknowledge, God, some of us have experienced the worst of the brokenness and sin of this world. God, in those moments, it doesn't feel like you're present. It doesn't feel like your presence is with us. It doesn't feel like you're moving or you're active. But God, as we read your story, I see you weeping on the ground with us. It's so comforting to know that we have a God that empathises with our pain. But Jesus, no matter what we're walking through right now, I want to pray that you give us the courage to lift our eyes off our circumstances into your hope. God, we'll continue to pray for miraculous breakthrough, for healing, for healing, For restoration in this life, we'll continue as your church to commit to being those green shoots of the kingdom bursting forth. But God, in the moments that make no sense, we choose to trust you. Would you minister deeply to us in the midst of our pain? And would you set our sights on the glorious outcome that you have already written for us, that is already the end point to our story?